Hey, my name is Melinda Russell, and I am obsessed with telling the stories of women involved in motorsport, young and older, from all walks of life, currently involved in a wide range of roles or sharing their stories from the past. I'm a wife, mother of four adult children, and a mamma of 16. In 2017, I was searching social media for a group dedicated to women in motorsports. When I didn't find what I was looking for, I posted a message to a few racing pages to see if any women would like to connect with me. And now I have thousands of women and men who are part of the Women's Motorsports Network. As crew chief of the only media company dedicated to women in motorsports, I work from wherever my travels take me, publishing this podcast, the Women's Motorsports Network News Online Magazine, and Let's Talk Racing Live, my social media show. You will hear from women who share their stories from the grid of life, how they manage the messy and memorable moments of family, work, and racing. You will hear their tried and true secrets of success and many other topics like friendships, family, hardships, and heroes that women deal with to balance the seasons of life. So grab your favorite beverage, pull up a seat, make sure you are comfy, and get ready to be inspired and encouraged from the stories on the Women's Motorsports Network podcast. This episode of the Women's Motorsports Network podcast has been brought to you by one of our partners, Ileana Stock Car Radio. You can find them on any of your favorite podcast apps on your smartphone or tablet. Just search for Ileana Stock Car Radio. And if you're interested in contacting them, go to ilianastockcarradio at gmail.com. Hello, everyone. This is Melinda Russell with the Women's Motorsports Network. And my guest today is Becky Burton. And Becky was introduced to me through a mutual friend, Carrie Rouse. So we're going to give Carrie a shout out. So let me tell you a little bit about Becky, and then we're going to learn some more from her about um, her personally and then how she got involved in motorsports. But she's the crew chief for Robertson Racing. They have three cars on the team, two race in Gridlife's wheel-to-wheel series, and her own Mazda 2, which she drives in the Gridlife's Sunday Cup class of Time Attack. She first got involved in racing in 2018 when her then friend and now fiance needed a co-driver for the One Lap of America, which she's going to explain to us in a little bit. They now have a team together as well as a business doing trackside setup, analysis, and coaching. So, Becky, welcome to the show. Hi, Melinda. Thanks for having me. Sure. Why don't we get started? Tell us a little bit about yourself as far as like where you live, your family, your pets. So we get to know a little bit more about who Becky is. Yeah. So I was born and raised in West, West Michigan. Um, I've got an older brother, pretty small family. Um, I've had a lot of pets over the years. I'm a big animal person. So I've had a lot of, um, everything from normal cats to strange. I had a pet squirrel for quite a while. Um, that was probably my strangest one. So, um, now I live in Holland, Michigan on a little lake with my fiance and our nine-year-old. And, um, we've got a, a race car in our driveway and a race car in our garage and a trailer and a sim setup and all the, all the goodies. All the goodies. So mm-hmm. 
you know, do you know where I live, Becky? No. Kalamazoo. Oh, no way. You were almost we're neighbors. About an hour apart. Yeah. We're, gonna have to get together. we're definitely going to have to get together in person. I didn't definitely. know you lived in Holland. So that's very, <laughs> cool. very cool. Yeah. So, um, so you're involved in racing. Um, let me ask you this. What is something most people don't know about you? Oh, okay. Um, let's see. I... Oh, something I'm pretty loud about. <laughs> You're an open book. <laughs> My unique characteristics. Um, I don't think most people know that I can ride a unicycle. <laughs> oh, that's a pretty um, unusual talent and one that I believe is hard to do. It's hard to learn, but once you get it, it's just like, you know, like they say, riding a bicycle, then you yeah. it clicks and you've got it. So I've done one wheels, I've done two wheels, and now I do four wheels. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I like the four wheels myself. They're, they're yeah. my favorite for sure. So how did you get involved in motorsports? I mean, West Central Michigan, West Michigan is full of racetracks, but um, tell me how mm -hmm. you got started. Well, I didn't even know. I lived here my whole life and I didn't even know about most of the racetracks. Um, my family wasn't really into racing. Um, I remember stories of my parents when they were growing up. They had friends who they would go and do ride-alongs with and whatnot, but um, we never really worked on cars or, you know, cars were just utility for us. But um, one important thing about when I was growing up or two, actually, that I think had a big influence on me getting into racing were that um, my mom is pretty adventurous and fearless. Um, so she kind of taught me, she's got this attitude that there's nothing she can't do and nothing that she doesn't want to try to do. Um, so I was kind of raised with that attitude as well. Um, and when I was a kid, I used to go and spend time at my grandpa's house and he was such an inventor and a problem solver and a tinkerer. And I would just love to be around the farm with him in the garage, fixing things or making things. And I think it was really great that he included me in those things. I never wanted to, uh, you know, sit inside with my grandma and do you know, sewing and those Early kind of stuff. things. So, <laughs> so he, it was great. He included me in all those things and he would show me what he was doing and I'd ask questions and we'd work on the tractor sometimes and it was great. So, um, I kind of had that background in me, even though I didn't get involved with cars until I was about 30. Um, I did like, I did ride motorcycles and I liked to go fast and I liked, you know, kind of a thrill seeker. Uh, but then my longtime friend, Scott, got a Miata that he was planning to turn into a race car and specifically for doing the One Lap of America. Uh, so if you don't know about the One Lap of America, it's a pretty unique event. It only happens once a year. And it's based on the Cannonball Run. A lot of people have heard of that, like the okay. race from coast to coast. Um, they can't do that anymore, obviously, for safety concerns, but yeah. the One Lap of America kind of took its place. So uh, you have to drive your car. You can't trailer it. Uh, it's an eight-day event. You get one set of tires, and every day you have racing events at a racetrack in a different state. So we always start in South Bend, Indiana, and then, you know, the next day, uh, like one year we were in uh, St. Louis the next day, and then 
you know, it's a couple hundred miles transit every night and then you race during the day and then you drive the car to the next state um, for the next night. So it's eight days and uh, you have to have two people to do this. You have to have uh, a, a co-driver at least to help with the transits. And Scott had bought this Miata and I was just so interested in what he was doing and asked him a bunch of questions like, why are you taking out all this extra weight? What are you what are you going to do with this? Where are you going to race it? And um, when it came time for him to enter the One Lap of America, he needed a co-driver. And he knew that I was interested and uh, kind of an adventurer and would be willing to do this crazy, you know, driving 3,500 miles in a Miata mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that had the interior stripped. I think it was over 100 degrees in there most of the time. And I didn't really know what I was getting myself into, but I just had the the spirit of adventure to go along with it. And um, turns out I really liked the community and I liked what we were doing and uh, eventually wanted to give it a try myself driving on track. Yeah. So that's, that's where that I started. kind of fun, except for the 100 degrees. And so I get that part. So yeah. <laughs> like what time in the morning do you get up and how and then so i'm going to ask you several questions tell me about what time do you get up you know um what kind of racing is it is it drag racing is it circle track what kind of racing is it and then do you drive all night you you don't sleep where do you sleep that kind of thing yeah so um every morning we're usually up about 6 a.m so we can get to the track as soon as it opens um because most of these tracks we haven't been to before we've never driven them and you don't get really any practice it's all it's all counted um so we get there as early as we can so that we can walk the track and at least have an idea of where the bumps are and where the grip is and how sharp is this turn and and all of that um we are usually competing in a slower car like uh last year we took my car a mazda 2 which probably had the lowest horsepower out of any of the entries uh and they they go in order of um finishing order so we're usually going we're usually one of the last groups to go towards the end of the day but we still have to get there before they start the event so we can walk the track so um, we're there, we're at the track about 7 a.m. And then there's two events a day. It's usually road courses, but then they also have an autocross, uh, a drag strip every year. Um, one year we did Lanier, which is a paved oval. So it's mostly road courses and then a few special events. Um, okay. We usually get out of the track by two or three in the afternoon to head to our next destination. And then just depending on how far the transit is um i think the latest we've ever gotten to our hotel is 2 30 or 3 a.m um usually on the lighter days it's around 10 p.m that we get to our hotel get as much sleep as we can so it's kind of a it's definitely an endurance and a sprint event mixed um and of course the more uh race prepped your car is the more uncomfortable it is for the highway and the more likely it is to break down on the highway. So, um, yeah, I was going to ask you that too. Like, how are they allowed to drive on the highway? They have to be street legal cars. Okay. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so, um, so you have to have, you know, a license plate. It has to be registered, all of that. And, um, 
some people have done it in in cars that you know didn't uh some people have done it in open wheel cars uh you know right. that you wouldn't typically see driving yeah uh, 3500 miles on the highway in all kinds of weather but some people do it um our miata like i said didn't have any interior or air conditioning and we did it a few years with the miata and as it got more and more race prepped it got harder and harder yeah. um i think one time we had to pull over because it was raining so hard that our intake was sucking up water and we had to pull oh. over under a gas station and reroute our intake so we could keep going yeah yeah <laughs> so that's it sounds like um it's got some challenges to it but it's also kind of good challenges fun challenges that make the trip if, if nothing ever happened it it would just be another drive across country yeah right? so it's definitely a unique event and uh we like to talk about how it's not so much that we're competing against each other but that everybody is competing against the event yeah. uh, and it's a really great community a lot of people do it every year so you get okay. like you make these friends that live all over the country and then you get to see them every year at this same mm -hmm. event. Uh, and then it's great because we're on the highway and we've got all these stickers on our cars. And if you come across another car that you can see coming up pulled over with stickers on it, you know, everybody stops to see what they need. And right. um, we're, we're, it's a it's a great community. Everybody cares about um, yeah. everybody else's succeeding in it. And you probably get a lot of attention, don't you, as you're driving across? I mean, oh, yeah. your, car, your cars don't <laughs> look like a normal car, right? No, we say that they're cleverly disguised race cars. Yeah. Because yeah, <laughs> even sure. the more street cars, um, you know, some people bring their daily drivers. Um, yeah. And then some people bring actual race prepped ra race prepped race cars. But we all have to have the same stickers on it. We've got the one lap stickers. Yeah. So we get a lot of people like taking pictures of us when they're passing us or we're passing them on the highway. Um, fortunately, our event coordinator does a really good job of contacting the small town police departments ahead of time. So they know yeah. to expect us and know that we're even though we look obnoxious, we're mostly well behaved. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, yeah. That's, and so is it the same? Is it the same route every year? No, it's different every year. So we we've signed up for 2024, but we don't know what the route is going to be yet. Um, okay. But that's that's a great fun part of it. You get to drive uh -huh. all different tracks that you may not get a chance to go to. Um, that's actually where I met Carrie was um, in. Let's see, that was in Eagles Canyon. Um, it was near where he lives. He came out to do some interviews and and whatnot. Yeah. Um, so. And sometimes we go back to tracks that we've been to in previous years, but there's always variety. Um, yeah. And then it's another challenge to, you know, even if you're a very good driver at the tracks, you know, it's about um, learning a track quickly, uh, yeah. driver skill and learning a track quickly. And sometimes the weather changes. Like sure. um, I drove at Putnam Park in Indiana last year and it rained very hard for the beginning of the afternoon session, but then the sun came out and it dried out by the time I went. And I think I came in like um, 36th place out of 65 cars with the lowest horsepower, mostly because I had all the grip <laughs> Yeah, <not for laughs> that they sure. didn't when they went. So it's definitely a, a lot of variety and a very unique event. So about how many cars will participate altogether? 
I think there's usually about 80 entries. Okay. Mm -hmm. and, and you said, and so there's different classes I'm taking it. Yes. So yep. explain that a little bit. Yeah. So they have um, a big bore class and a small bore class. Um, the last two years we've competed in a Sunday cup class, which was actually sponsored by Grid Life, who we drive with the rest of the year. I'm sure we'll get to talking about them too, but uh, yeah. Sunday cup class is like a, a B-spec economy car type okay. of class. So, so we did have um, a handful of cars that were similarly horsepower to weight matched. Um, but then they have like an EV class, they have a stock touring class, um, a vintage class. Okay. So there's, there's all kinds of, all kinds of variety. And that's one of the things we love about the event too, is it's, uh, you get so much variety of different cars. Yeah. So you said the class you run in is typically near the end. See, I would want to have a car that runs at the beginning so that yep, I'm yep. done first. And then I they get the most sleep. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> We've been trying to talk the coordinator into flip-flopping it one day just for fun. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe every other day or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah for sure. Because that, that's not really fair that you always have to run last. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we kind of know what we're getting into with our car, but then it also rewards. It's like an extra bonus reward for the people who are performing well and have a, a high performing car. Yeah. And I see that too, for sure. It's like when you yep. go to the local racetrack and the, the late models always run last because they mm -hmm. want the crowd to stay. And that, that's not always fair to the late yeah. models either. So. Yep, definitely. Yeah. So, um, What's your favorite thing about doing, I know you do other things, but what's your favorite thing about this, about being in the one lap of America? Probably the people that we've met. Um, it's, you know, we, we keep in touch on social media and stuff throughout the year, but it's so great to pull into the parking lot every year and just have so many hugs and catching up with friends. And it brings so many different people um, usually pretty good characters it brings a lot of characters and a lot of people from all different walks of life yeah um and it's just everybody you know cares about each other i think um some of the people that really encouraged me to drive the most are from the one lap of america um okay. you know i'd see them every year and they'd say are you driving yet and are you competing this year and why not and they really encouraged me to become a driver and um right I remember my first time competing in the one lap of America. You only get three laps. You do three consecutive laps and it's timed total time. So you don't get any room for error. Um, mm. So that felt like a lot of pressure for me when I first started driving yeah. to do that. And I didn't really know what run group to go in. They send out yeah. about six cars at a time. I didn't want to get in anyone's way. So I was really <laughs> nervous. And I remember... Um, Two two guys that always bring a Corvette, uh, Bob and Ted's Excellent Adventure is their team name. And they were just so great of like, come on in with our run group. And okay. so the people are really what keep us coming back to the yeah. one lap and in racing in general. Yeah, for sure. So um, when you're not doing one lap of America, how are you involved in racing? Oh, okay, so... Um, we do a lot with Gridlife. We go to most of Gridlife's events and they started in the Midwest, but they're now branching out to 
further areas of the country. Um, Scott drives in just about every race that they have. Their series is called the Grid Life Touring Cup or GLTC. Um, and I'm, my main job is the crew chief for him. And we have one other car that joins us on occasion, a Civic in GLTC. Uh, and then when they are doing, uh, GLTC and time attack weekends, then I'm driving also. So I've got my hands full on those weekends. Okay. Um, so I am the crew chief. I do all the maintenance on the car at the track. I do safety checks every day. Um, we have comms, so I'm on the radio with Scott during races to tell him what's going on, call flags, um, tell him how his pace is and all of that. Um, and then also we do some track side setup analysis and Scott does coaching. So uh, okay. I do take tire temps for other drivers who are interested in a setup analysis and we kind of give them some advice on you know, whether they need stiffer springs or more camber or less camber or their tire pressure is way too low or, you know, whatever we see. So, yeah. so we're, we're out at grid life weekends, just about every, every event they have in some capacity or another. And then we try to make it to some of our local, uh, local, um, events. Gingerman is our home track. That's the closest one. We love Grattan also. Yeah. So we're in the summertime, we're at the track at least two weekends a month, <laughs> if okay. not more. So um, Gingerman and Grattan are, you know, both, you know, road, road courses. Is that what you always are on is a road course? Yes. Everything, everywhere that we drive is road course. That's okay. our main the only real time we've done other events is on the one lap of America. Okay. All right. And is it the same cars that you drive in one lap of America that you're driving here? So far it has been, although we're, we're looking at branching out uh, this year, but uh, the first couple of years we did it in Scott's Miata, um, fully caged, completely uh, prepped race car. The last two years we did it in my car, which is a Mazda 2. Its name is Mooncake. Okay. And um, this year when we did it, it was, I got a, I had a roll bar in it this year, um, which makes it, I didn't really think about it when, when I put the roll bar in, but it makes the passenger seat unable to recline anymore. Oh, so dear. it was quite a uh, uncomfortable so ride <laughs> yeah that was probably on purpose now becky admit it <laughs> <laughs> it didn't affect me as much as it did scott he's quite a bit taller than i am so okay. i fit in the in the passenger seat and was able to nap in between the bumps a little bit more than than he okay. was so <laughs> yeah that's funny so um who's been a key person and i am think I probably know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask you anyway, who's been the key person that kind of got you into the cars? You did the one lap of America with Scott. Is that what really made you fall in love with racing? Um, you know, who's the person that really introduced you to it and really helped you, you know, maneuver along to where you are today? Because we can't ever do anything by ourselves. That's just too hard. So how, yeah, you know, yeah. was it Scott or who helped you? Yeah, absolutely. Scott's probably been the biggest person just because like he was my, um, 
doorway into racing. Uh, he was the first person that I knew who was doing that. Um, and he's basically taught me everything that I know. Um, yeah. Even before I started driving, he was uh, instructing. So I would go to his instructing classrooms and listen um, and listen in when he was in classroom. Um, and I'd listen to him talk to all the other drivers. And um, there's definitely, and he's taught me how to work on the car too. He's the main, he does all of the upgrades and changes to the car when it's at home in the garage. And I usually help so that I can learn what it is and then i take care of it at the track so i've learned just about everything from him but there's definitely some people um more people that have had an influence in me becoming a driver Mm -hmm. um i can think of a few in particular um instructors for grid life who um you know actually when i when i started going to the racetrack i felt pretty out of place um because it was mostly men and sometimes i felt invisible like i'd be in a group of men talking and they would all introduce each other and shake each other's hand and then i would stick my hand out and they would just like pretend like there wasn't a person there they didn't know what to do they didn't know what to do and nobody was intentionally excluding me they just didn't think that i would be interested and or that i was there for the cars um, well, but there that, were a couple the instructors who the question I was going to ask you, Becky is, Oh, have you ever felt like you didn't fit in? And if so, where and when? And, and so I want you to expand on that a little bit more. Was yeah, it absolutely. the first time that you went and showed up or is it more calm? Is it still happening? Um, I think as I've gotten more involved and gotten to know more people, it's, it's less noticeable for sure. Um, the places that we go, I mostly already know the people and they know what I do and they know what I'm there for. So it's not as much of a problem. I remember some of the first track weekends that I went to with Scott. Um, and I noticed that there was only like the first one in particular, there was only one woman driver there and she went off the track and had to get towed which people do. Everybody right. does. Men, right. everybody does that. But I remember all the comments about her specifically going off track. Um, I've had a lot of comments uh, like when I'm working on the car and Scott is taking care of himself uh, as the driver, I'm under the car and people will say like, he makes you do all the work. And I'm like, well, why wouldn't he? I'm the crew chief. That's what I'm here for. But right. uh, because because I'm a woman, I think yeah. they, they're teasing me, but it's, uh, it's calling me out as somebody different. Yeah. Um, exactly. I've even had, like, he's introduced me as his crew chief and somebody's, like, looked at me with, like, a little smirk and a wink, like, oh, isn't that cute? He calls you his crew chief yeah. <laughs> sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I do remember the first person who came up to me and asked me how our race weekend was going when Scott wasn't there. Um, and I remember uh, one of the instructors at Gridlife when I was standing, um, you know, down by the pit lane and he thought I was a driver and said, are you looking for a, a ride along that they were doing right driver ride alongs um, and just assumed that I was a driver. 
Um, so that's meant a lot to me. And I think some people, the people who understand what a systematic, unintentional um, way of being it is to assume that women are not interested in motorsports, the people who realize that are very intentional about um, treating all drivers the same, whether they're, yeah. you know, man or woman, gay or straight, whatever, right. Right. Uh, race, religion, anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, people have a preconceived idea of if you're the woman, what you should be doing and you shouldn't be the one under the car and whatever. And mm -hmm. it is changing, but slowly. Um, you know, as, as we look at the top tiers of racing, we see women doing all kinds of jobs that it used to be considered just a man's job. And yet we still have people who maybe don't follow that as much or, or just don't understand that you could do, you could drive and be the crew chief. You know what I mean? You yeah. Well, that. and I think it's, I'm very fortunate that in the the generation that I started racing, nobody has told me outright that I don't belong there. Yes. Like, I think we're past that mm -hmm. mostly. I think, um, so. I think what I'm seeing is even harder to address though, because it's so ingrained, like nobody's doing it intentionally and they don't even know that they're doing it. Yeah. Um, and I'm hoping, I think it's starting to change more. Um, yeah. But it's just something that, you know, um, people my age when they were growing up were not invited into the garage and yeah. were not invited to participate in those things. And um, it's not that anyone thinks that it's wrong. It's just that um, when you're the only woman there, you're kind of a spectacle because you you stand out. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But would you encourage other women to get involved in, in, you know, like what you're doing, like, you know, grid life, would you encourage other women to be the driver or come along and be, you know, the person that rides along or the crew chief, you know, what would you say to those women to encourage? Them? Absolutely. Um, I think we definitely need more women to get involved in every aspect of it. And um I'm a big believer in not just in racing, but in all areas of life in trying things, even though you're not sure you can do it mm -hmm. because you don't know what you are capable of until you try it. And there was a time where I thought that I, uh, that driving was too intimidating, mm -hmm. um, that I didn't think that I would ever be able to do, you know, I'd ride along with Scott and I'd think, wow, I could never drive like this. Um, but then I tried it and I wasn't like that right away, but I got right. into it and I practiced and, and I can do it. And, yes. you know, it just, it's very empowering to do yeah. something that at one time you thought you wouldn't be able to. And I yeah. think that's good. I think that's good for everybody to do those things. Yeah, absolutely. And it not even connected to motorsports, anything in life that you, you think that would be interesting, you know, I would never skydive, but my friends, that's something they always wanted to do. So I went along that day and I was the picture taker um, and that. And to see people 
get out of their comfort zone and be able to cross something off that bucket list, you know, and that's a good thing. Um, it's a very know, powerful it, thing. Yeah, absolutely. It, it absolutely is for sure. So Becky, when you go to these events and you're in the minority, obviously, because you are a woman in a, what is typically a man's sport, unfortunately, I have to say that. Mm -hmm. um, but how do you, have you made an impact, do you think, on maybe the people you've met or, you know, uh, grid life or maybe some of the tracks you've gone to? Have you made an impact or how will you make an impact on motorcycles? Yeah, I think about this a lot. How do we encourage other women? Um, and I think... A big part of it is just having uh, more exposure of women in motorsports, uh, more publicity for it. I'm always a big, you know, like what you're doing, I yeah. think is amazing because you're showing all of these amazing women that are doing it. And that's that's huge for other women to see. Um, and I, Grid Life has been so supportive of that. I've talked with, you know, we've had conversations just in the paddock with um, some of the leadership of Grid Life and um, some of the instructors, they now have what they call the Becky rule, where they try to have a female instructor at every event because I told them how, how much of a big deal it was for me to have uh, not all of the instructors be men, like mm -hmm. to have at least one female instructor. Um, yeah. Scott, Scott, when he's instructing, he usually gets a lot of the female students. And uh, he said to me, you know that's because of you, right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that when they're at our paddock being instructed, they see that you're there and that you're doing this and then they yes. don't feel so out of place. So Or intimidated. Yeah. They can feel intimidated by all men. And it's just like going into the car dealership to buy a car and all the men, all the salesmen are men and they treat a woman like she doesn't know anything about a car oh here yeah, comes yeah. a woman i'm good you know and then they find out oh this woman knows what she's talking about and so yeah absolutely i've been there before too <laughs> yeah exactly. uh, yeah so i think it it really is important and um i don't know how big of an impact i've had but i certainly am aware of that and and do as much as i can to support the other women that i know um yeah. I think that's another aspect is that we're we're getting better at is that um, women need to support each other, yeah. and uh, I think Grid Life does a great job of that too. They've got um, women in prominent roles in every aspect there, which is yeah. huge, and um, we've got a big group chat of all the women <laughs> who regularly yeah. participate in Grid Life. So I'm very fortunate to be in in a place where that's so important. Yeah, ab absolutely. Because that's, you feel comfortable, you've, you know, you've kind of made your way there. And so um, you have made an impact, I think, maybe that you don't even know that you have. But well, uh, and I think so. And men aren't going to do that. Um, oh. It has to be it has to be the women that do that because men, they just don't know. They just don't no. realize what it's like. It's not. It, they're not. uh when Scott, when I started talking to this stuff about Scott, he was surprised. Like he didn't, he didn't realize that any of this stuff I was talking about was happening until one time he and I went up to talk to 
um, Sally McNulty. I don't know if you know her, but yep. I know yeah, Sally, she's great. She was at a Good Life event and I wanted to go and talk to her. And Scott and I went and talked to her and the whole time she was looking at me and talking to me and had eye contact with me and she and I were having a conversation and all of a sudden he was in that role. Yes. And that's when he started to realize. So um, they can't help it. They just don't no. have that view or that experience. So they're not going to do it um, unless they have women in their lives that they, who yeah. tell them <laughs> about it. So the women, we, it's really on us to, to make it the way we want it. Yeah. And if you don't ever say anything, it's never going to change. So that. Yeah, that absolutely. So Becky, do you have a bucket list and it could be anything, not just, you know, a track you want to race at or, or something. Do you have a, a bucket list of things that you want to accomplish or do? I've got so many things that I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's hard. <laughs> um, specifically racing related. The big thing that I can think of is um, my brother has my dad's old Corvette. My dad passed away um, when my brother and I were a lot younger and my brother has his old Corvette, which we always dreamed of fixing up and getting running. And I would love for us to fix that up and for he and I to drive the one lap of America in it. Oh, yes. um, I don't know if that'll ever happen, but that's a dream <laughs> that I have. Um, I also would like to run away and join the circus someday. <laughs> I want to be a, I want to be a trapeze, trapeze or aerial acrobat. Okay. Uh, that's definitely on my bucket list. Um, <laughs> I have gone skydiving. Okay. Um, yeah, okay. those are the, those are the biggest things that come to mind, wow. but a lot of, a lot of small things along those lines too. Wow. A trapeze artist. That's, that's one I haven't heard. So good for you. <laughs> it just looks so cool and fun and to fly through the air like that. Oh, oh yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> now I would though, if and I almost did this. Um, we used to go to mid mid Ohio to watch the motorcycle races in years past, my husband and I. And they give rides around the track if and you know you pay to ride or whatever. And I mean they go really fast down the back stretch there after the keyhole. And um, I wanted to do that so badly. And I, you know, they go over a hundred and some miles an hour. I don't know, but I really on a motorcycle. Wanted, it's on a motorcycle. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I really wanted to do that. And I was this close to going over to sign up to do it. And it started to rain and it rained enough that they had to, cancel and I said to oh. Martin, I said to my husband well that was God telling me that I was crazy to be thinking about oh. <laughs> brought the rain and I had to I didn't get a chance to do it but I yeah. really that's something I really I like going fast mm -hmm. uh, not necessarily as a driver but I did do the Richard Petty driving experience in Florida and you know the guy was driving and I don't know, we were going whatever we were going fast. And I was just sitting there with my arm on the, you know, on the car. And he looked over and he said, you're not a bit scared, are you? And I said, no, can we go faster? And he said, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, um, 
it yeah, fun. it is a great feeling. It's very it thrilling just to just yeah. to be going fast. I get that. Yeah. It was fun. It was fun for sure. So, Becky, do you have someone who's been a key part of your life that has inspired you or been a mentor to help you become the person you are today? Well, I think, I think my grandpa would have to be a big one. Um, even though he died when I was in middle school, but, um, I have a lot of core memories of working with him on the farm and just the way that he was and the personality that he had, um, and his work ethic and his, uh, ability to problem solve and to think about unique solutions, um, really made an impact on me before I even understood that it did. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's really affected my, um, my work ethic and my, I'm in uh, construction, residential construction. Um, and really it's been a, a good place to foster that problem solving and um, yeah. creativity, creative solutions. Um, yeah. So I would say he's probably the biggest one. Okay. And then, um, you know, definitely my mom just never saying she's always had an attitude of, oh, you could, you could definitely do that. Yeah. There's never been, she's never said like, oh, I don't know. Are you sure about that? She's always been an encourager of whatever yeah. I was into. So. <laughs> and isn't that wonderful to have someone like that? Because so many people don't have anyone. Yeah. She's a. Like even so far as sometimes she's the instigator of the <laughs> the trouble that I get into. She, so. she suggests things that get you into other things. Yeah. yeah. Just as an example, um, she went on vacation last month and she sent me a picture. She had rented a slingshot to drive uh, <laughs> on vacation. She's just that so kind of person, just up for anything that any opportunity that comes along. So I got my motorcycle license at the age of 50. Um, my first husband was not into any of that kind of thing. And uh, after we got divorced and I met Mark, my current husband, he was a motorcycle guy. And I loved riding on, I loved just riding on the back and, you know, but he always said the fun is not on the back. Mm -hmm. And and so I just one day during my lunch went over to the Secretary of State's office and I took my motorcycle test. Good for the, you. The written test. And I passed. And so it's not much different than the driver's test. I mean, it's a lot of common sense, really. But yes. anyway, so I took it home that night and I laid it on the counter and I said, well, I guess I'm going to have to buy a motorcycle. <laughs> and so, Excellent. Um, I started on a little Honda 250 thing and I had a Honda on. Rebel too. Uh, yeah, I had a 250, Rebel. Yeah. It was orange and I and I wasn't long that I was like, well, this isn't enough. And then I had a, a really nice Honda Shadow that was used. I had a Honda Shadow too. But the person didn't hardly he bought it for his wife and she didn't want to drive it and it was an older bike, but it looked brand new and it didn't have hardly any miles on it. So I rode that for probably a couple of years. And then I, then I traded, you should never go to the international motorcycle show 
if you think you might want to buy a bike because uh -oh. then we left there and went to the dealership and bought a, uh -huh. a Honda. Oh, I can't even think of it now. Um, I can see it, but I can't think of it anyway. Um, it was a much bigger bike. And so I, I had that until I have, I have back issues. And so I had that until I had to have back surgery and I got rid of it. But, oh, you know, so getting my license at the age of 50 and now I would love a slingshot or, or something. Yeah. I yeah. Would drive that in a heartbeat and take my little dog with me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> that's, that's a bucket list for me, for sure. Yeah. For sure. That's great. Well, my, um, my plan for the one lap this year is actually Scott's mom bought an MX-5 Miata earlier this year, and she went to her first track days um, this spring. So she's just getting into cars. She's in her 70s, uh, and she and I are planning on doing the one lap together in her wow. MX-5. So it's never too late. There's always more adventure to be had. So yeah. I it's wonderful to see, um, to see people just exploring that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So Becky, I don't know if you're a reader or not, but it, do you have a book that you would like to share with our listeners? A, a good read that you can think of? I am a big reader. Um, I, I know I'm a little late to the party, but I'm reading the Lord of the Rings right now. Okay. okay. <laughs> and I love, um, Tolkien, the way that he writes and C.S. Lewis also. Um, okay. so any of those books I would say. Okay. Are high on it's my never list. never too late for classic kind of books. Absolutely. Um, yeah. C.S. Lewis especially talks about how, um, when you're, he's got a line about how, um, fairy tales or stories are for kids until you get old enough that they're for you again. Oh, I love <laughs> until, that. Or like until you're in, until you grow up enough that you know how to enjoy them or something like that. Oh, <laughs> so I, I stories that. are definitely not just for kids. Yeah, though no, they're not. And you know, that's so true because, you know, we're telling a story right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I tell stories in my magazine about women in motorsports and, and, you know, it, it doesn't matter what the topic is. People love to hear the stories. So, like, I'm a huge sports fan, obviously a race fan. So I love when they tell stories of behind the scenes things about drivers. But I think the people or the sports maybe that do it the best is like the college, uh, the NCAA tournament where they tell the stories of kids and how they got to where they are or, or even football. Um, I, I love to hear those stories of overcoming adversity, uh, whatever it might be. And um, people love those. And so um, podcasts, a lot, you know, what I do is telling a story. Um, there's all kinds of podcasts, but that just happens to be, this happens to be what I like to do, but, um, I think you're never too old for a good story. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's so important, um, just to get to know each other and to know, um, mm -hmm. the connections that you have 
with other people. I think especially it's so easy to see our differences right now. Um, But anytime you listen to somebody's story and you can find points of connection, Mm -hmm. that's so important, even if you never meet them. Um, That's so Just to know that other people have the same, similar things. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So some parting thoughts. Is there anything that we haven't discussed that we should have? So I'll give you a chance to um, share anything that, you know, we just, I missed, I forgot, I want to hear, I don't want to leave anything out. So um, anything at all that we should hear from you, Becky? Um, One thing that uh, Scott and I and kind of our, some of our, friends talk about frequently is um we talk about the importance of driving a slow car fast (laughs) because i drive a mazda 2 which is not typically uh considered a race car um it's not what people think of when they think about going out and buying a race car but for me it was really important as um something that i wasn't intimidated by and yeah. something that I could rely on to have a lot of seat time in and get to know. And yeah. um, we talk about how when you drive a car like that, you can't depend on the car to cover up your shortcomings as a driver. Yeah. <laughs> so um, if you if you overslow for a corner, it doesn't have any torque. <laughs> So it takes a long time to get back up to speed. Uh Um, And um, that's kind of, uh, I've gotten into uh, Sunday Cup is kind of a B-spec, based on B-spec racing. Um, It's it's a power to weight ratio. There's a lot of Honda Fits that I'm competing with. Uh, There's a Kia Rio, um, a Mini Cooper, uh, it's a great class of car because it's so accessible. Um, uh-huh. yeah. I, even before, even when my car was mostly stock, I could get out there and, and learn a lot from it. So, uh-huh. uh, that's been something that's really important to me. And, um, you know, I, I drove the Miata a little bit when I was just learning, but it was, uh, more car than I needed at that yeah. time. So um, I just want to give a shout out to all the people driving slow cars out there. (laughs) Yeah. So I could probably compete. I have a a Honda CRV, an older one. So it, you know, it doesn't have a lot of pickup and go, but then I also have a Dodge Ram pickup with a Hemi. And it has a lot of pickup and go. So yeah, uh, yeah. There is an SUV and truck class in the One Lap of America, oh, and we love to see go. those. There's been a couple Durangos every year. Yeah. Usually, great fun to watch. Yeah, for sure. Well, Becky, I really want to thank you for being on. This is, you know, the um, Grid Life and the One Lap of America is something we haven't ever had anybody talk about. Oh, on yeah. here. And so this is going to be all new um, information for the people that listen. And then I also, um, we want to give Scott a shout out. He Absolutely. has a podcast as well. So why don't you mention what his podcast is and 
and how people can find it. Cause I, it sounds so interesting to me. I want to, I want to share what yeah. he's doing. Yeah. So uh, Scott does a podcast called track walking um, and it really started from our track walking uh, on the one lap of America and we would walk with other drivers and we talk about driving and we talk about life and they kind of got the idea of how intertwined driving and life are and how your life affects your driving and how maybe if you can become a better person, you can become a better driver and vice versa. So his podcast is called Track Walking. Um, and then we also uh, have our own business, Robertson Racing. He does coaching, virtual coaching, as well as trackside coaching and then setup analysis uh, and you can find us at robertson-racing.com. Okay. All right. And then what about social media? Is there a, a place there that we can follow what's going on? Yep. On uh, Facebook, we're Robertson Racing Miata. Um, Instagram, Robertson Racing. And then my personal Instagram is yeah, Becky Polly. Or I should spell it out. Y-A-H underscore B-E-C-K-Y underscore P-O-L-L-Y. Okay, that's cute. I like that. <laughs> Thank you. And then grid life, they can probably Google grid life and find Oh that. yeah, grid.life. Grid.life um, and then one lap of America they can find those one lap of America.com. Yep, those two uh, organizations are very near and dear to my heart yeah. and um, grid life is starting to expand nationwide so Good. they're they're becoming more available to everyone. Yeah, that's great. Awesome. Well, Becky, thank you again for taking time to be with me today on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I really enjoyed talking with you because I learned a lot about some things that I maybe had heard of, but didn't really know much about. And then the fact that we live about an hour apart, we're going to have to get together and uh, have lunch somewhere. Holland has amazing restaurants and breweries. Mm -hmm. and uh, I know the way there because my friend, lives over that direction and she and I get together a lot. So we will um, definitely get together um, in person. Uh, that would so be wonderful. Know. Thank you so That'd much for fun. having me. And it's like we were talking about um, finding those connections and we didn't know we had this connection of no. living so close to each other. So that's no. wonderful. I did an interview with Hannah Rickards. She is a, she's a, oh gosh, She's not, she's not a, she works at the track and interviews people. I can't even think what she, what I'm, I've escaped, the words escaped me, but she used to work, did things with World of Outlaws and she's doing NHRA and, and so she's a grid announcer, I guess you could say, grid, and she interviews the drivers in that. And so um, I've met her a few times, really like her. And so we had her on the podcast and she started talking about a little town in Missouri where she grew up and had friends and I said, Oh, wait a minute, you have to stop right there. Do you know where Warsaw, Illinois is? And she said, Well, of course. And I said, Well, that's where I grew up. Oh and wow. So we were literally across the Mississippi from each other and about 30 miles apart. When, you know, hometowns, who would have thought? And I had it's just so it's, it's so amazing world. sometimes the, the connections that come up. It is. And so it's fun to find out where people live and where they grew up and all those things, because you never know um, how close yeah. of a connection you're going to have. So yeah. That yeah. Well, that's great. Awesome. Well, Becky, thank you again for being on and 
we'll be following and and checking up uh, what you're doing with uh, Grid Grid Life. I always want to say Grid Walk, Grid Life, <laughs> and One Lap of America. Great, thank you so much. You're welcome. If you're looking to buy, sell, or trade the stuff that strokes your engine, anything from truck parts to classic and muscle cars, RVs to hot rods, and everything in between, then check out our official classifieds at racingjunk.com. Racingjunk.com is the world's number one online racing and performance marketplace, the ultimate one-stop shop where you'll find what you need to rock your ride. If it belongs in your garage, it's for sale on racingjunk.com. Log on to racingjunk.com to find the gear you're looking for, sell your extra stuff, keep up on racing news and tech tips, and more. Again, that's racingjunk.com. Thank you for listening to the Women's Motorsports Network podcast. Subscribe to my show and follow me on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. If you or someone you know would like to be featured in the Women's Motorsports Network news online magazine, this podcast, or Let's Talk Racing Live, my social media show, contact me via messenger on Facebook at Melinda Russell, or send me an email at womensmotorsportsnetwork at gmail.com. 